Hello, welcome to Eyes for Ears, our ophthalmology OCAPS and board view podcast. We're your hosts, Ben Young and Andrew Powell. Please keep in mind that these podcasts are for medical education only, not to diagnose that weird thing on your eye. We're ophthalmology residents who figured reviewing for clinic, OCAPS, or boards is better when you don't have to do it alone. Each week, we'll review a high-yield topic and flesh out the why and the how. Today, we're reviewing landmark glaucoma studies. So I'm back, and thanks for holding down the fort while I was gone to Amanda, but unfortunately, I don't have any fruit-related factoids to contribute on my return. But we do have this glaucoma study thing cooked up for you. Great, yeah. You know, glaucoma landmark studies are frequently tested on OCAPs and are good for your general eye provider to know and be aware of because it guides so much of our treatment. Andrew, which studies are we going to look at today? So there are five that we're going to really focus on. You can divide them into two general groups. We're going to look at three studies that have experimental groups pitting treatments against no treatment for glaucomatous progression. And then we're going to look at two studies that compare treatments to different treatments. The Ocular Hypertension Treatment Study, or OATS. OATS. OATS, OATS, OATS. What a fun name. So, Andrew, what question did OATS try to address? So, you know, you are ocular hypertensives. You always wonder, this isn't really causing any damage, or at least none that our tests can pick up yet. Is it worth decreasing their intraocular pressure? Would it actually manifest as a improvement in their risk of progressing to actual open-angle glaucoma? So, in the study, ocular hypertension was defined as between 24 to 32 millimeters of mercury in the study eye. For the control eye, they used a fellow eye. And they made sure that each fellow eye was at least a little bit lower in intraocular pressure than the others. And that was about 21 to 32. Not too big of a difference, but enough to keep the study going. Their target endpoint was to decrease IOP by 20%. So their target was under 24 in the study eye in general. And they had a five-year follow-up. What were the conclusions of the study, Andrew? Yeah, so the treatment group enjoyed a 22.5% drop in IOP compared to the eyes that didn't receive treatment. They only had like a 4% drop in their IOP, which honestly, you didn't do anything to those eyes. I'm kind of impressed that there was even that. So 22.5% compared to 4%. With the follow-up data at five years, they did notice that the incidence of glaucoma was half that in the treatment group compared to the control group. It was a 4.4% incidence in the treatment group compared to 9.5% incidence in the observation-only group. And I'd say that those percentages are pretty good facts to memorize for your overall knowledge of the OATS trial. 4.4 incidence in treated groups, 4.4% incidence of progression to glaucoma in ocular hypertensive who were treated, compared to almost 10% incidence in ocular hypertensives that you don't treat. So it's definitely worth treating people just for ocular hypertension. And the second major result from the study is they found the predictive factors for developing opening of glaucoma, which are a high IOP at baseline, which uh, Andrew just discussed, older age, a larger cup-to-disc ratio, and thin pachymetry. Other factors like race were found to not be factors um, just that people of certain races may have thinner pachymetry, for example, which may increase the risk. A race was not an independent risk factor, um, as one example. 
The other takeaway that you get is actually something really useful in clinical practice, which are prediction models. Now, the Washington University in St. Louis actually ran the OATS trial, or at least that's its main headquarters. And Dr. Cass over there is still over there doing great and still running things with the OATS trial. The, the reason I mention is you have to go to their website, the Washington University in St. Louis website, for a prediction model. In that, you can input a bunch of the risk factors that we just mentioned and then see what the estimated risk, predicted risk of progression to actual glaucoma might be. There's another website that Wilmer actually has with a slightly different calculator based on the same uh, study variables. And in 2007, the European Glaucoma Study validated the OATS prediction model. There's another kind of caveat to OATS as well. I mentioned it's still been going on, and in 2010, there was an important addition to its findings. All those people with their fellow eyes having not received any medications, the obser observation group, they wanted to see, is it ever too late for eyes that never receive treatment to benefit, if, even if you start treatment late? So what they did, they took all the same eyes that were in the original OATS trial, the same patients, same eyes, the ones that never got treatment, and they started those eyes on treatment seven and a half years after they actually started OATS. This went on for about another five and a half years, and at the end, they tallied everything. So in those eyes that had a seven and a half year delay before tr starting treatment, 22% of those that never got treatment in the control group went on to get glaucoma. But those eyes that finally received even late treatment, only there was only a 16% incidence there. The other thing to know is the Kaplan-Meier survival graphs actually evened out after both groups started getting treatment. So the answer is truly no, there's always hope, and it's never too late to start drops, though it is better to start them early, as the early manifest glaucoma trial will suggest, which we'll talk about next. The EMGT, yay. What question did the early manifest glaucoma trial ask, Andrew? So if Oates was trying to figure out what the benefit of starting treatment in eyes that haven't developed glaucoma yet are, then the early manifest glaucoma trial asked the question, is it still beneficial to start treatment, um, IOP-lowering treatment, even after glaucoma hasn't been newly diagnosed? So you're talking about early in glaucoma's course after it's been truly diagnosed, what's the difference in progression of that glaucoma with or without treatment? To give you an idea of what happened, the treatment patients got betaxolol and an ALT treatment. The control groups did not get that. So, so then what were the conclusions of the EMGT or early manifest glaucoma trial? So you can imagine again that the treatment group had a lower rate of progression compared to those that didn't have any treatment. The treatment group had a 45% rate of glaucomatous progression compared to a 62% rate of progression in the control group. One other fact to remember is every single point of millimeter mercury drop in IOP actually yields a 10 to 13% risk reduction, as long as you're talking about three months after the treatment. If you're wondering about different kinds of glaucoma, it's useful to know that your patients with exfoliative glaucoma or pseudo-exfoliative, as it's also known, uh, those patients have much more variable rates of progression compared to those with just yeah. primary open-angle glaucoma. And those who had the least amount of variation in their progression were those with normal tension glaucoma. 
EMGT also kind of assessed risk factors for progression, and that's different again from how OATS assessed risk factors for developing glaucoma. But the risk factors for progression in the EMGT included again high baseline ILP, but also bilateral disease, uh, the presence of exfoliative material or pseudo exfoliative material, as well as the presence of disc hemorrhages, which you all are trained to recognize, and if you remember which study kind of pointed them out first, it's the EMGT. Now, as a fun fact, disc hemorrhages are more common in a particular type of glaucoma, which was studied in the next trial that we'll talk about. How's that for a transition? That was a masterful transition. Look at did you see that? Did you see that? That was I didn't I didn't plan that out. So, Andrew, what is the name of the trial that studied normal tension glaucoma? It has the word in it. So, it's the CNTG, the Collaborative Normal Tension Glaucoma. And what, and specifically, what question did the CNTG study uh, ask? It wondered, since pressures are largely normal in normal tension glaucoma, is IOP even still a factor? And is it something that we should try to modify as a risk factor? So again, they studied those who received treatment and those who didn't receive treatment. They, they tried to get a 30% reduction in intraocular pressure between those with treatment. And that actually showed that it did slow their progression when compared to controls. But even though the study did find that there's slower progression, things are still highly variable. Even just half the observation group never progressed, even after five years. So probably the conclusions are a little more difficult to parse, but overall, it's still worth it to reduce your, the IOP in your normal tension glaucoma patients. Another conclusion was that a couple of risk factors were identified that were risk factors for progression of normal tension glaucoma, and those were female gender, migraines, and as we already mentioned, disc hemorrhages. So three, female gender, migraines, and disc hemorrhages. Okay, so... Those were the treatment versus no treatment trials. So the trials that evaluated whether or not you should even initiate treatment in patients with glaucoma. What's the next type of trial that we're looking at, Andrew? Yeah, so the next two trials we're going to talk about involved treatments against treatments. Like, is it better to do drops or is it better to do surgery? And how do laser treatments fit into that? We'll first talk about the SIGITS, the Collaborative Initial Glaucoma Treatment Study, CIGTS. And the question they asked was, okay, you've diagnosed someone with open-angle glaucoma just recently. Should you treat them with drops or surgery first? The surgery that they did was a trabeculectomy, and they compared that with medical management with eye drops that lowered pressure. They also didn't just include primary open-angle glaucoma. They also checked pigmentary and exfoliative or pseudo-exfoliative glaucoma. What they came up with was that the eye drop group had a 38% reduction in IOP, whereas the surgery group had a bit better reduction. Compared to 38%, they had 46% decrease in IOP. There are some, there is a subtlety there because the, tr- the surgery group had also had more cataract surgeries previously done. So maybe that confounded things a bit because just removing a cataract can also lower pressure a bit. But even though the surgical group had a better reduction of intraocular pressure, the visual field and visual acuity measured uh, three years out were actually worse in the surgical group. This did even out at five years, though. As far as, you know, aside from just pressure, what does that mean for the glaucoma? Visual field mean deviation in the eye drop group was slightly worse eight years later, but not to too much. 
But it's notable that the progression rates are overall better in SIGITs compared to the other trials, maybe because they had more aggressive intraocular pressure goals. SIGITs also noted that patients who had worse baseline visual fields were less likely to progress if they got treated with trabeculectomy first. So basically, in summary, SIGITs found that medical and surgical therapy were essentially equivalent over the long run in terms of initial therapy for newly diagnosed open-angle glaucoma. That's mostly true, but they also found if you do have terrible visual fields to start with, your rate of progression is better if you just go to trabeculectomy first. Mm -hmm. That's one of the caveats of that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Love it. Okay. So that study looked at initial treatment in newly diagnosed glaucoma. What about a study that looks at advanced glaucoma? So in this case, the Advanced Glaucoma Intervention Study, or AGIS, did try to answer that question. When you have open angle that's not responding to your eye drops, should you go for laser or surgical treatment? Which one works better? Now, the AGIS study actually is a little bit like the DRCRNET trials because there's so many different protocols. But it's useful to know some of those other protocols too, or at least their conclusions. So in AGIS, patients had both laser and trabeculectomy, but it was the order in which they received those treatments that were different. So one group had first uh, ALT followed by trabeculectomy, and with a third procedure what being whatever they needed. So ATT first, A for ALT, and then trabeculectomy, and then another trabeculectomy potentially. The second group, second experimental group, had a trabeculectomy first, then followed by an ALT laser, followed by another trabeculectomy usually. But, you know, one group had laser first, the other group had trabeculectomy first, and then they compared both groups' endpoints at nine-year follow-up. And what they found in, if you're counting the protocols, AGIS protocols 4, 9, and 13, found that there was actually a racial difference. In black Americans, they found that the best results came with using ALT laser first. And in Caucasians, they found that the best results came with trabeculectomy first. For a lot of the other protocols, we don't have to go into the protocol numbers really, but this is the source of a lot of the other factoids that your attendings will often like to mention. Like for one one thing to know, half of all the study patients ended up developing a cataract in the first five years, and trabeculectomy actually increased the relative risk of cataract formation by more than 78%. Uh, So if you're doing a TRAB, be prepared to also deal with a cataract later. This is not really something in the study, but if you have that situation happen to you, know that doing your cataract after a TRAB will also increase the risk for your TRAB failing. All the inflammatory mediators released when you break open the anterior capsule will kind of clog up and encourage the failure of your trabeculectomy bleb. So unless you can do it all together at the same time, know that the sequence, the order in which you do a TRAB versus a cataract, both can impact the other quite significantly. You know, one of our attendings is often always saying that if you keep someone's IOP below 18 all the time, then they'll usually never have progression. You won't ever have to worry about them. Aegis was the trial that found this. As long as their pressure is below 18 in every visit, then none of those patients ever had glaucomatous progression. And I'm really good at figuring out a cup-to-disc ratio 
Ben is okay at figuring out a cup to disc ratio. Okay, pretty low blow. Okay, keep going. <laughs> um, anyway, and as you know, you can trust your own cup to disc ratios or your judgments of a cup to disc, but I, for example, wouldn't be able to compare my judgments to Ben's judgments. And Aegis also uh, solidified that, saying that cup, and cup to disc ratios are reliable intra observerly, but not inter observerly. And I think there's a better way to say that then no i like uh, whatever uh, interobserverly <laughs> just two two ways to remember some of the key i don't know these are these are how i remember the key um some of the key findings in the study one is that you know african americans do better with alt first so there's that a and a if that helps you remember it versus caucasians you tend to do better with trabeculectomy first the other thing if you're trying to remember where that study that had the iop less than 18 generally has no progression of their glaucoma we take AGIS, so AG stands for advanced glaucoma. You take IS. If you draw a line through S cleverly, it becomes an 8. So then you have AG18. So that's how you can remember the number 18, if that helps you at all. So glaucoma studies are generally alphabet soup-like, and it's hard to remember which is what. A lot of them actually have it in their names. So ocular hypertension treatment study about ocular hypertensives. Collaborative normal tension glaucoma study also got normal tension glaucoma there. So to review the five kind of major studies that we reviewed in this podcast, there's the OAT study. The major thing that they found was that if you just have ocular hypertension, dropping your pressure by 22.5% reduces your risk about half from 9.5% to 4.4% of developing glaucoma. So that's kind of the major finding of OATS, as well as finding the five predictive factors of opening a glaucoma. And in the early manifest glaucoma trial, drops basically do better at controlling the progression of real glaucoma than doing nothing. Go figure. To summarize a collaborative normal tension glaucoma study, they found that if you drop IOP by 30%, you reduce the risk of progression of a normal tension glaucoma. SIGITS is the study that compared drops or surgery as initial treatment for newly diagnosed glaucoma patients and found that it doesn't really matter. They're about the same in the long run after like five years of data, but worse fields, worse glaucoma should be addressed by surgery instead. And then the last study we talked about was AGIS, the Advanced Glaucoma Intervention Study. And Two of the major findings are, one, that in African-Americans, that ALT is a better first treatment, so they go ATT, where the T stands for trabeculectomy, versus Caucasians who did better with trabeculectomy first, where they did, did better with a pattern of TAT. And then the other kind of major finding was that if you keep your interactive pressure lower than 18 at all visits, that, that generally they don't have, they have almost no progression of their glaucoma. And that's it. If you liked what you heard, you can follow us on Twitter at Eyes4Ears with the number four. We'd love to hear any comments, suggestions, or feedback. We've also got our website up and running, which has Anki flashcard decks on it, thanks to Ben's magical ability not to sleep or something. I'm not I, sure how you're pulling those off. I, I type fast. <laughs> <laughs> um, the website is Eyes4Ears.net, and that's the word for F-O-R. If you'd like to support the podcast, it really helps to rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you next time. Goodbye. Bye.